So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Thrusha Gunwardner. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecialising in intervention, and I don't have Imran again with me today. Um, it's just, you know, difficult. And I'm, I think the real issue is, is that he's made his peace, man. You know, we're supposed to be doing this once a month, whereas I, I don't know, like I'm just classic, just not quite ready to let it go. And also, I guess because, you know, obviously it's been a big week with the strikes I mean, what, the first time since 2016 and we're just going to leave that undiscussed? Ugh, no, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it to you guys. So thank you for listening to me if you are. Um, well, I mean, obviously you are if you're listening. Because if you're not listening, then you wouldn't know. So I don't know. Anyway, um, so I should shout out our sponsors. Uh, very proud to like uh, be associated with these guys. So their handle on Twitter is at um s-c-r-b-s underscore uk so scrubs but without the u they put the u in scrubs yeah see what they did there so they're comfort driven scrubs and they're designed by uh doctors in the uk uk medical professionals they're based in birmingham a, a friendly bunch of uh bunch of guys and gals people <laughs> and, um so the the benefit of like checking them out for you other than the fact that they're really really nice they're nice scrubs practical uh, comfortable like really soft and stretchy i love them um is that you can use our discount code which is two medics so that's capital t w o m e d i c s one zero two medics 10 and you get 10 percent off um and uh you know they really are worth it so do check them out um so that's at scrubs underscore uk so yeah, so we're delighted to announce our uh, kind of partnership with them. Now, my partnership with Imran is still obviously ongoing. He should be back next week um, for an episode. That'll be prior to him observing Ramadan. So it might be a bit patchy. I've spoken to a few people who might kind of step in um, for a few individual episodes. But um, I think it'll probably be here and there. Mainly it'll be just me and, me, me and Imran just kind of taking a step back. But for now, because I'm not quite ready to let go, I'm just going to talk you through this week so obviously the strikes happened i was supposed to be on nights and um well monday tuesday wednesday they were covered by different consultants and then thursday night i covered myself and it was weird i felt weird kind of going into work and i was a bit like thinking to myself well you know what's 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 gonna be waiting for me um i had actually you know shows what a suck up i am i'd like messaged each one so there's a different consultant who covered each one of my nights goes to show you know there wasn't one consultant who'd take it all on oh no they had to split it up shows how difficult they are um and um so i messaged each one of them to say you know thank you so much for like covering the shift and and uh, two of them got back to me with like yeah, you know, kind of, we support you and, you know, we think it's really important. And the third one was like, interestingly, yeah, uh, you know, do you have any tips for, for the nights? I am a kind of a bit worried because for my night, it appears that we don't have an SHO. So I might have to prescribe, you know, uh, night sedation and this and that, you know, he, I think he's worried about actually like clerking people in. And I replied being like, mate, there never is an SHO. That's just how it is. You just, you know. You, you are doing all those things. And I think sometimes, I guess, it just illustrates how, you know, you can forget what it was like. And um, but anyway, speaking to him today, uh, kind of caught up with him. He said that he, he enjoyed it. Of course he did. Try doing them on the regular, mate. Try doing them on the regular. But I, I think there were, there were a lot of tweets that were very positive from the consultants on, uh, on the timeline. And they came to kind of, I think, quite mixed responses. And um, I guess I, you know, my take, obviously, is, well, I guess I thought they were kind of sweet, you know, like people were kind of making the most of it and tr trying to find nostalgia and the fact that they were doing it again. I expect, I suspect that if they had to do lots more of them, there probably, there probably would have been a lot less positivity about it. But in general, I think they were very supportive. And I think those kind of tweets where they're saying they're kind of looking forward to it and stuff were... You know, I, I took them to be quite cool, to be honest. There were some, though, that I guess met with some responses that, well, fair enough. I mean, there were some where they, they seemed to open up the canteens throughout the night or they, they seemed to be, they seemed to be like next level stuff provided for them to make sure they were as comfortable as possible. There was abundant food. There was like massage chairs I saw. 
And the thing that obviously people started to point out was, look, these are the steps that people are willing to make to take to make it comfortable for the consultants to cover these shifts. Why aren't they there all the time? Why aren't they there for junior doctors to do? Because, you know, this is um, there were, these were three days since 2016 that, um, that a strike has occurred. And in that time there, uh, you know, is uh, so, OK, seen as out of the ordinary. But look at all that energy, that all that energy that went to kind of make sure that things went as smoothly as possible. Now think about how much more smoothly shifts could run if people were treated like that, as like valued and, oh, we need to make sure it's okay. You know, that kind of energy, if that was there for junior doctors all the time. And so understandably, that was kind of met with some cynicism. And I think, you know, the people who pointed out that there were these creature comforts overnight, the consultants who are saying, look, you know, this is what they were given. They were very, they seemed very well aware of that and cognizant of the fact that there was a bit of hypocrisy there. Whether that will change behaviour of people towards junior doctors and stuff, I think it's unlikely. I mean, for my night, you know, I got a few messages saying, oh, you know, we're like a couple of SHOs down here and there and whatever, so can you do this, can you do that? And, you know, it was kind of usual service resumed, unfortunately. Um, And then obviously you get the questions, don't you, as to like how successful people think the strikes are going to be. And me and Imran were talking about this. And ultimately, I think anyway, like what choice do we have? Like what else is there? You know, I mean, you can wait for the next election and what hope that will the Labour government be any better? I'm not sure. Looked at like how, you know, their kind of their their kind of recent kind of PR campaigns have been like quite kind of Tory light. So can we expect it to be better there? I just don't feel like there are many other ways that will get the public's attention um, than striking. But interestingly, that does lead on to the advert, the advert from the BMA. And that generated a whole lot of responses. Um, Do you know what I'm talking about? So there's an argument, a full page argument in The Guardian. Um, It came out on the 14th of March. And this is the advertisement. This is what it says. Pret-a-manger has announced it will pay up to £14.10 per hour. A junior doctor makes just £14.09. Thanks to this government, you can make more serving coffee than saving patients. This week, junior doctors will take strike action so they are paid what they are worth. Now, it led um, to a number, well, to, to quite considerable amount of response. I have to say I didn't like it. And I don't have to say that. I did, unfortunately. And people obviously didn't like that either. My issue, I guess, was, one, the use of the word worth. And I think that it kind of brings into it kind of weird kind of like value judgments as to um, (laughs) the worth of a person. And two, is kind of pitting one person after the other. Um, Against the other, excuse me. And one of the things that I think... Um, I think counts as a positive for the junior doctor strikes is that it is at a time where there's a lot, a lot of agitation and a lot of will, a lot of kind of will amongst people, a lot of, of workers to, 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 to fight really for better pay and better working conditions. So the, you know, the strikes from train drivers, the strikes from paramedics, strikes from nurses, strikes from physiotherapists, strikes from teachers, they're all striking. And I think kind of putting one group of workers against the others kind of um, undermines the kind of collective bargaining power that we have. I mean, but then, you know, obviously you've got lots of people who are, who are saying to themselves or saying out, putting out there, well, I don't see a problem with it. You know, we, you know, we, we've done degrees, you know, we should be paid more. And I don't think anyone is any, in any doubt that doctors should be paid more. I don't think anyone's in any doubt. And a lot of a lot of the responses that you got from members of the public, non-doctors, were saying, we agree that doctors should be paid more. How helpful is it then that we kind of go around comparing ourselves to other people, though? Especially when what we want as a collective is to force the government to make change. And if we do it as just a group of doctors, as like a doctor's union and its members, 
versus a, a you know a collective pretty much all workers striking in all across all different spheres really making things kind of very really quite difficult to ignore for the government you know which 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 um method is more likely to be successful well i think collectively um but anyway you it, then it, then you kind of it, it gets into kind of the wider conversation as to whether we're acting like holier than thou um whether we're being too academic about it some people said it, it was kind of uh, akin to communism or something like talking about workers and trying to organize and it's i think the thing is is that there there should be if um my take is is that in order to try and be successful there are lessons that we can learn from the past and the 2016 one of the problems with the 2016 strikes and it's not like they didn't achieve anything um but one of the things that undermined us was one a lack of clarity and message and i think um, the message before was about uh our, we've taken a real terms pay cut of 35% compared to a doctor from 2008 2010 that time and we're not worth less than a doctor from then we should be paid what we're worth and that equates from 14 pounds up to i think 19 pounds an hour that's that's the difference but then kind of going well this is what this other person's paid and i f- i feel like what ends up happening is you get taken off message um anyway you know that's my, that's my take on things um unfortunately then they seem to have been fact checked and apparently i wasn't completely right and then they were like oh is the fact checker actually come and so and that's the problem really you just end up going down silos and unfortunately um off message um but i hope i hope that we've achieved something with the strikes um i suspect as things stand they're probably going to be more and from what i understand our vote to the bma uh gives us a mandate i think towards the end of the year so it's not necessary that would be balloted again about further strike action i think it's a case of watching this step a space even to see what the bma says next as to when the next strikes might be i suspect that will be coming unless um there's a proper conversation uh with steve barclay and um co about a pay rise so i hope it happens man i hope it happens um it's uh it's a long it's been a long time coming um i have to say the other thing that's really important is the performance of emma runswick she's been awesome hasn't she like coherent consistent voice throughout throughout this i've seen whenever i've seen her on the night like, uh tv or radio interviews just answering sometimes they can like really quite kind of difficult questions under pressure you know like really emotive questions not just like hostile ones that you get say from like uh you know the kind of standard government lines but when they've kind of spoken to to patients or um the way she's kind of handled the uh questions has been amazing and really i think we um one kind of real positive is that we can kind of get behind her and i think that was one of the things that we were worried about I certainly was worried about before the strikes was that would we have someone who would be on point and on on um on message and be consistently um good and uh, coherent and she has been excellent so you know if there is someone to kind of figurehead this movement it's it's her and so you know she has my full support I, you know I really do wish her all the best um cool so uh moving on uh, some other like weird stuff that's been going on that I guess unfortunately hasn't had the attention that it probably would do um, normally and that's this person called well it's an account I don't actually think this is a real person but Prof N John Cam C-A-M-M and they are subscribed to Twitter Blue so that already tells you something um, about them um, now this person apparently tweets from Nuremberg, Germany, and apparently they're also an interventional cardiologist. Interestingly, though, they have ex- they seem to have the same name as someone who's not that person. I think they're like an EP consultant, or anyway, in like London. And so there's a bit of confusion there, and there are lots of people who seem to follow him. They're not entirely sure on who that is. And basically, they've been tweeting a lot of like low-key, well, not low-key, actual racism, 
actual transphobia, like um, misogyny, like literally just loads of just rubbish. And um, I think people, I've had a few people point this person out to me. It's obviously as a cardiologist, they're like, look at this guy. And I was like, whoa. And um, I thought, oh, you know, like I'll check it out and stuff. But essentially Rohin, you know, everyone knows Rohin, right? Medlife crisis, at med crisis, um, did a bit of digging. And I thought I'd kind of tell you a bit about um, what Rohin found. Um, So let me just open up that thread. So... This guy, um, he goes, so this is how the thread goes. So if you wanted to check it out, Rohan tweeted this on March the 9th um, at 8.33pm. A few years ago, a friend sent me what I would later learn was a typically bizarre tweet from at N. John Camp, asking if I knew who he was. No idea, but something bothered me. He almost shared a name with a very famous cardiologist, Professor John Camp. Coincidence? No. Much stranger. And this picture of this dude, like this Asian guy, he just looks like really confused. In the, and I was like, nobody's going to pick that as their profile picture. And this person's picked that. And that is like the first thing that made me be, think like, this guy has got to be a troll or something. But they put so much effort into it. They've, they've subscribed subscribe to Twitter Blue. They've got their, you know, they made a website which is riddled, riddled with spelling mistakes and like bad grammar. So anyway. Rohan goes on to say, he went viral yesterday, but within cardiology circles, we've known about him for quite a while. And while his lack of filter can occasionally be quite entertaining, he's routinely misogynistic, anti-LGBTQ, racist and anti-vax. And that, I mean, that's it. So so when this guy got pointed out to me, I was just like, I don't have the energy for this. I just blocked him. But anyway, he's, he's copied in some, uh, some uh, screenshots and in this particular one, this is where this alleged person at Enjon Cam has quote tweeted uh, something from the World Health Federation that said, women experience delays in accessing diagnosis and treatment. This is how women are perceived in society. There's a bias in our care and we need to do better when it comes to both biological differences and how we are seen in society. And that was a quote from Dr. Martha Gelati, who is awesome. She's a, an American cardiologist and she did a woman's health study in america which was really really comprehensive and i came across her as part of my research and i found these really really interesting uh, papers in particular there was one that looked at kind of patients who had anginal symptoms but then went on to have an angiogram that would be normal and basically kind of exploring the outcomes of these patients and stuff really like interesting stuff definitely worth a follow but certainly one of her uh, uh, you know one of uh, the things that um she talks a lot about are the uh, outcomes for women um seeking help from cardiology but also the involvement of uh, women in cardiology so definitely someone to kind of promote and uh, to follow so this guy's quote tweeted as saying i don't agree this perception is fabricated and far away from reality there is no intentional delay or discrimination against women on diagnosis or treatment anywhere in the world now anyone who's done like an mcq at um, in medical school will know that if you just you know only a sith deals in absolutes and this guy's saying that there's no discrimination like what how can you say that and also how can you say that it's like that anywhere in the world like imagine the brass balls to say that rubbish but anyway so i mean when you see i don't know when i see people who are like who's so certain and so certainly wrong in this kind of scenario i'm just like the the thinking is so just wrong that trying to unpick and untangle and deal with that is just going to be impossible. But anyway, so Rohan's gone on to say, his personal website, full of typos, states he spent some time at St. George's Hospital in London, my alma mater, where the real prof John Cam works. It reads very strangely if you know the body's journals he's referring to. It's really weird. It is a really weird kind of um, segment. Um I don't know what to say. The thing was is that when I looked at it, I was like, is this, because it's like a picture of an Asian dude, I was like, is this just like some uncle who's like typed? And so that, I guess that's why I was like, oh, maybe this person is real because it's it's done and there's facts in it, but it's really badly done. Anyway, so he goes, a bit more digging unearthed these pics from India, which are astonishingly bad photoshops. Look how his knee disappears. And then these pictures of him like, like with a monk and stuff whatever and oh my god the photoshop is so bad like bits of his shoulder his shoulder are like 
it's the kind of it's re a really coarse edge because it's like you know like when you're trying to rub something out on paint and maybe you choose like a square instead of like a smooth thing and so he's kind of like jutted it into his arm to just try and remove the background and then like start superimposed it on this image of the monk it's amazing it's amazing it's so bad but then uh I, no, it's just terrible. So this guy's got photoshopped pictures. And so that doesn't help much with your credibility, I just said. Anyway, and then there were, like, references to these buildings that apparently are institutes, like the John Cam Institute of Medical Sciences Research and Innovation. And so Rohan goes on to say, the building on his profile banner is apparently the planned in John Cam Institute in Rajasthan, opening in 2027. And then he goes, it's actually a stock image of a non-existent residential complex. <laughs> The name was still bothering me, N. John Cam. Of course, there are millions of Christians in India, but it didn't seem like a typical name, so I started looking through some of the cardiology journals he mentioned and found a case report by Narendra, Narendra John Cam. Looking up that name brought up several dissolved UK-based companies listing Narendra John Cam as a director with the job title cardiologist. Two companies went by the name Brownwald. Now, Eugene Brownwald is considered one of the fathers of modern cardiology. I've got his textbook. It's awesome. Um, so like this guy's like name dropping like the right people or at least like prominent people so anyway Professor John Cam the original and Eugene Brownwald he copied him photos of him are household names in cardiology so could the fake and John Cam have changed his name to bask in the reflected glory of a well-known name in cardiology and chosen a company name for the exact same reason I mean the plot thickens doesn't it so here and then he goes on Here's, that's not even the most interesting part. When you search for his real name, things get spicier. Our crusading truth-telling cardiologist was suspended for several years, perhaps necessitating the, necessitating the name change, and arrested in India with charges, including kidnapping. What? Uh, bonkers. Bonkers stuff. Anyway. Um, so... I, so Rohan goes on to say, I've got no doubt that he's a cardiologist. I know cardiology has an image problem. We seem to play an outsized role in support, <laughs> supplying bellends to Twitter. That's true, isn't it? Myself included. And hey, sometimes I kind of find that funny, but I reply, I've read some of the replies to his tweets. I mean, this guy's awful. Um, I've noticed that quite a lot of people um, follow him. And I'm, I can only imagine there's two reasons that people might follow him. One will be because they don't know that it's, not, it's just seen John Cam. They're like, oh, he's like prominent, prominent in cardiology. I'll follow him. Might get some interesting ECGs and cases. So I'll put that in there. And number two is for the bands, isn't it? It's for this guy to just be like, well, what is this wacky guy going to say about, oh, vaccines are going to make you grow a third ventricle or something next, you know? Um, either way, a toxic presence. And um, what can I say? A cardiologist. There you go. Aren't we the worst? All right, so moving on. Oh, God, there's actually this next topic has more bad examples from cardiologists. But there you go. What can I say? I, I just have to kind of call it how it is. So this is a tweet from Jamie Murphy. And he said, what's your favorite Dunning-Kruger moment in healthcare? Mine was being told by an anesthetic ICU reg that microbiology input isn't needed as they had covered microbiology in their ICU exam. Now, that was a particular trigger for me because, oh, my God, the number of times where... I've been just kind of lectured on stuff by ITU registrars within, uh, you know, within cardiology. But then, you know, how can I talk being a cardiology reg? We are like the most sanctimonious and patronising of specialties. But like, uh, you know, I, 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 could I could think of examples to balance it out. But let's go with the ones where cardiology have been dicks, just so that, you know, it's, it's fair. So Shai, so he's an um, ITU consultant. Um, ICU asked for a cardiology review of a patient on ECMO. The cardio CMT1, I feel like he's put that in there just to make us feel less bad, I guess. Um, spent 25 minutes reviewing. Good on them. Okay. Turned out to be a very well-known intensivist and said, cardiology has little to offer here, but closer attention to the fluid balance would be beneficial. Ah. What do you say to that? Okay, fair enough. Fluid balance, eh? That's like... I don't know. I think, you know, there have been times, I have to say, where I've gone and seen patients and, you know, you know, it's been for like, optimise this or, I don't know, for an opinion. And sometimes there isn't really an awful lot that you can add. 
you know, if they've done everything that you kind of expect or whatever, then it's like, no, you have to wait for this, or you're going to have to do that, and yeah, yeah, fair enough. There isn't really anything else to add. But then, and then I guess, could it be that that person wanted to put something in so that they feel like their input was worth it? Now, I have to, I have to say, that the way I get around this, and the way I get over my imposter syndrome of feeling like, why is anyone going to listen to anything I have to say anyway? What I would do is just make a summary. Just summarise what the hell's gone on and what you what you thought was particularly pertinent to your review. So that might be copying in an echo finding from 2002. But you put those things in so that maybe then the next person who's much smarter than you comes along and has a look at your summary and goes, ah, oh, that's, that's, wait a second, they join all the dots and it's like the matrix and then they see and then they know what to do. So at least then your input would have been valuable in a sense that you've actually summarised the important information for that next person to just tap it in, just finish it off, you know, um, at the end. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what I do. So the reason why my reviews are pretty much me just kind of like writing a whole load of stuff in that's happened before is, is that's just my imposter syndrome. And the plan at the end, that's me. Yeah. But there you go. So that was one from Cardiology. Um, here's another one. Oh, Cambridge educated F1 knocked on my door on his first day. On his first day! How do you know it was his first day? I call. Anyway. And told me all my strict patients were being mismanaged as they had not had CT perfusion scans. Clinically useless. I re-educated him. He will be a professor one day. Yeah, fair enough. Um, oh, I remember once being told by someone that... Um, giving paracetamol um for pyrexia was like completely baseless like there was no there was a study that shows that it doesn't work or something i was like oh okay and i think because like i didn't i didn't know like i I can't know all the studies i'm I'm not sure like i just always understood paracetamol to be like an antipyretic i mean so i was like oh okay and then like getting off the phone and being like so what did what was the point of that then what like it was really weird. And I find that that's one of the things that happens when you come across someone who's just like so brazenly confident in, you know, telling you stuff that probably isn't right, is that it makes you kind of, because it's the confidence of it. And um, I remember a patient I had, who had like, it was really quite sick and they had quite severe AR and I thought they were going to need like inotropes and stuff. And I remember speaking to the IT reg and the IT reg was like, yeah, I can't fix the aortic regurgitation. And I remember being like, what the hell was, what, was that was, that wasn't what I was asking you to do. So wh- why do you say that? Like, I, I'm aware that that's not what you can do. That's not really what I'm asking you for. And I guess the, I guess the implication was that they thought that that person, pro- you know, or ultimately need surgery. And that, and the key, the kind of the wording, the heavy lifting is like ultimately there. But I just kind of find that sometimes stuff like that that kind of is annoying but you know i guess we do that too uh, loads so you know why did you do that toponin what's the echo show what's the left atrial size or something i mean i'll never ask for left atrial sizes even i don't know what it's about i say even eyes if that's supposed to be something anyway so moving on oh so i copied in um uh, a tweet from sally l Ghazali, who is an intensivist, and she was covering the ward with her brother in the same hospital. He's a rheumatology consultant during the strikes, and it kind of brought them together. See, another positive of the strikes is bringing families together. My brother's a a junior doctor, and for a while, you know, throughout the time, like, when he was applying to med school, I was identified to medicine, just, you know, debanking or something. And then he, you know, obviously then did that. And I said, don't do medicine. Do And, and the entire time he said, like, no, no, I want to do cardiology. I want to do cardiology like you. And now, so he's, you know, he's, he's doing medicine. Um, he's done his foundation training and he's applying to radiology. And now I'm like, why? What's wrong with cardiology, man? There you go. And it hurts. I'm not going to lie. It hurts a little bit that he chose radiology knowing Imran. Because I'm a bit like what he's seen the two of us like talking to each other. And of the two, Imran is the one that he wants to emulate. What does that? It just, it hurts, man. Um, But anyway, it's cute to see these guys working together, but it would seem 
increasingly unlikely that me and my little brother will work together unless he's probably bailing me out of some stuff that I've left in someone's arm or uh, cause some vascular complication, which I guess would be entirely possible. Um, so, moving on, um, there's a tweet from um, Dr. Ruby, and uh, she was talking about, um, well, basically there was this comment um, from a Holocaust um, memorial. Oh gosh, this is getting really d- uh, dark and deep. But essentially, the reason why I use the word dark is because that's part of the way it was described. Dr. Ruby says, big yikes on the blackest moment in human history when they're talking about the Holocaust. And I think the reason why uh, uh, that kind of drew attention was a choice of words, the blackest moment in human history. Because obviously the Holocaust was like, you know, is awful. And uh, her point is that there was also slavery, colonization, the Holocausts, nuclear bombing, Bosnia, Rwanda genocides, and it doesn't need to be the oppression Olympics. All were terrible. Big yikes on the word use of the word blackest. Um, I kind of put that in because I guess like on Twitter, the one of the themes that seems to be going along, going on, is about nuance, and um, there was like a particular person who was saying that there that with nuance you lose simple truths and I think I unfortunately I thought that was a really stupid thing to say because then that kind of just means I mean it'd be beautiful if everything was like face value like this means this and whatever but that's the problem with language and human experience right we know full well from talking to other people that even in the same situation people have different experiences of that situation that might be entirely comfortable to a situation can be entirely comfortable to one person and entire like the worst situation in the world to another and the way we kind of react to other people's discomfort i think that obviously mirrors how much we kind of care about their feelings and their safe their feeling of safety and so I do think it's important to be kind of careful about the words we use and also to kind of be humble enough to say I chose the wrong words there. Um, And I think kind of calling it the blackest moment in human history is really kind of, um, it's kind of insensitive. And it's from a sensitive topic. And I guess it's kind of a difficult thing to talk about. And I guess you sense my discomfort there. But what I'm trying to do as I get older is, is that I don't feel like, this the end in terms of like um my development (laughs) in terms of trying to be better you know if anything it's so that my kind of children can mirror my behavior i hope that's not my only motivation i hope it's also because i you know (laughs) i want to be good like i want to be able to kind of like when i'm on my deathbed like if i'm asking myself the deep questions like i want to be able to kind of say to myself that i tried to be good like throughout and I, I do think that sometimes when people kind of get to a certain stage in their life I feel like they feel like their personal development is done it doesn't have to be and I think um, people can be quite defensive about the words that they've chosen to use and I just think that, what's the point in that like what's the point if you've causing someone distress and stuff then maybe just stop and be like oh mate oh gosh okay and try not to do that again isn't that better isn't it isn't that a better person aren't you a better person to be around if you're kind of feel like that surely anyway um i have to say i follow dr ruby because you know there's always stuff that um i can learn from her every day um so there's a tweet from thomas shanahan and he was talking about the doctor's vote crew on twitter so for those of you who don't know um i have to say i don't completely know either and i think that's part of the point so it made it to the papers some time ago whereby there was a group of doctors on the junior doctors uh, subreddit who wanted to actively change the BMA from the inside. Um, now, for a lot of those people on Reddit, that was just talk, but there were a group of them um, who I think became like a group called the Doctors Vote. 
and they through a series of elections and stuff they kind of campaign separately to get themselves uh, into prominent positions within the BMA, BMA and they certainly were a steering force in terms of pushing the agenda of the BMA towards the strikes and pay restoration and you have to acknowledge that like that en- a lot of that energy seemed to kind of become organised from that Tuna Doctor subreddit the problem is though is that in themselves I think or certainly the way that the the behaviour online uh, seems to demonstrate is that they've kind of acted like that was the end goal um, like the, the I don't know if that's them kind of trying to kind of regroup and take stock and kind of take energy from it like look this is how far we've gotten that's certainly not the vibe they're giving off unfortunately so there was a tweet that said over the past year doctor's vote has achieved a lot um, industrial action in England ballot on the 29th of March in Scotland rate card Highest ever at BMA and BMA membership. We have a lot more to do. Yes, that's true. And ultimately, though, if you look at those things, the the fact that it's the ballot or the membership of the BMA and stuff, really what most people are interested in is the end goal. And this that's what Thomas Shanahan was saying. So this is all great, but the only achievement most of us rank and file members care about is actually getting us a pay rise and better terms and conditions. Results? Outcomes, they're a key. Protesting is a means, not an outcome. So I don't think anyone really sees the, the strikes that have done at the moment as a, you know, as victory. I don't, um, I don't think anyone really sees it that way, or you shouldn't do, because it was something that's, um, it meant that people who, did, who were striking, you know, they lost out on three days pay uh, when we're talking about a time when pay is insufficient. And... We still haven't got the pay rise yet. That's what we want, really. And, you know, it's not without cost. Um, So, you know, I hope we get there. And I think the kind of pattings on the back that have happened so far. And then there are other people who are like, oh, you know, this just shows that Junior Doctors subreddit UK is actually the voice of, you know, they thought it was a fringe voice, but it actually is the voice of all doctors. Um... I don't know about that either, because there, there was like a motion recently about restricting the access of um, international medical graduates and making them all do the foundation program so that they can get so that, you know, so that they get experience on the NHS before uh, they take up a number. I always think that's kind of interesting when they say experience of the NHS, NHS experience. Like, why do you need two years working in the NHS? And what does that really even mean? Like, what is the NHS experience? So what you need to understand that there's disparity according to postcode or that things are rationed an awful lot. And that, I mean, what is it that you need to understand what bureaucracy? There's plenty of that in other countries. So what is it that's so special about the NHS experience that you need to spend two years working in it before you can apply for a number like and also and when they just say oh just like working in the nhs and what what does that even really mean because like the whole experience of it is different from one trust to the other it's wholly different like having moved from one hospital to the other you know there's different systems different quirks or we do it this way here all different cultures different toxicities so what is it that you know you're not going to get that necessarily from doing f1 and f2 in one place and then you know getting your number somewhere else so what is it that really they want other than i think they're just not brave enough to say that they want to gatekeep and make it more difficult and there are people saying look you know if you've got experience working abroad that is another reason why we probably wouldn't want to come across to take the post and essentially when it comes down to it that's what they want that they want fewer people applying for numbers because when you look at it they're they're using that as a solution to the competition ratios that there are for national training numbers so then if you kind of distill down that thinking essentially they just want fewer people applying for numbers wouldn't it be better to to have more numbers and more consultant posts at the end because therefore you don't restrict the pool of applicants um you kind of keep whatever talent there is in the pool. I guess the issue is is that if you don't, if you feel like you're competing against people who might come across better than you at interview, but they just don't want to say that. There's lots of kind of other things that imply that they need the NHS experience because they're not good enough, and I don't think that's it. If if that's what they want to do, but there you go. Um, so yeah, results. We want results. Um, next. So, uh, oh God, there's a from Steve Barkley. I keep seeing his face. 
and his kind of Lego haircut on my feed. So um, this is <laughs> um, uh, a tweet from Steve Barclay on the, uh, March the 10th, where he said, I've written to the BMA junior doctors, inviting them for formal pay talks on the same basis. Other health uni- uh, unions accepted, including calling off next week's strikes. This is prior to the strike. <laughs> and Ben's just been like, imagine being this bad at your job. Baffling. And that's because he like sent it at like 10 o'clock the, the evening. Um, of the Friday, like before the strikes. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yeah, it's baffling. But like, it's that age-old discussion, isn't it, as to whether they're bad at their jobs or it's like intentional. And you know, I have to say, I think it's intentional. But there you go. Okay, so um, here's a tweet from Minna about the BBC. So he said, "Can we finally accept that as an establishment?" British institution, the BBC is inherently conservative. And as conservatism has veered sharply to the right in the past few years, it's increasingly a tool for the right rather than a true bastion of free speech. Now, this is in reference to Gary Lineker, who tweeted about the behaviour of the Tory government being a bit more like a fascist regime. And then people were like, oh, it's unpatriotic. Oh, he's a lefty. Oh, he's paid by the the BBC and stuff. Which is interesting because you tweeted it in a personal capacity. So whether that has to be representative of your employer. If he put that in his Twitter profile, would that have made a difference? I don't know. But basically for he got asked to step back. And then since then he's, oh, it's all good. Again, like he's been reinstated. And um, he did this really, this kind of really quite gross tweet about Tim Davies being like, oh, it's a really hard job. Which is just, uh, it just makes, you know, when you're kind of, you think when you're kind of supportive of him being able to say what he really thought and then for him to really capitulate in that way kind of leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. One of the good things, though, was to see the amount of solidarity that there was. So a number of different people, Ian Wright, Alan Shearer, um, they all kind of refused to prevent uh, to present the show in his absence. And then there was this tweet from a Tory councillor who, interestingly, also worked in a, a like had a voluntary position on like an NHS board um who said something like oh typical black hypocrite I don't even know what that means like what does that even really what does that mean um anyway she obviously I mean obviously it's racist what the hell is that old woman talking about uh, deleted the tweet and then did this kind of terrible 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 apology was like oh i'm sorry if it was like viewed as racist and you know it's like playing the kind of racist person bingo where they're like viewed as racist and i abhor racism and all this kind of stuff and it's like mate that's what you put online imagine imagine like what you're saying amongst your mates and it's quite, it was like another one of those, I'm sorry if you feel... I mean, like, it's not like we expect any better from a racist person. But there was, like, a, I think uh, there was an interview with Ian Wright afterwards. And he was like, look, why don't you just own your racism? Just own it. Just say that you, like, you know, whatever. And then we could just ignore you in peace, like, you know? Whereas, like, oh, like, I, I'm whole racism. Like, yeah, well, I practice what you preach. Like, learn. Like, don't... What are you on about? Like, what's the fact... What's his race got to do with it oh, that's gross um but yeah um lots of people talking about whether um whether the bbc is worth it and stuff and uh, it's funny isn't it um okay so i'm coming up close to time but there are just a couple more that i want to mention just before um before i leave so one of the things was that um there was a multi-billion pound bailout for a UK tech firm. It's funny how they found the money, right? They found that seven billion pounds. Um, it cost a billion to to uh, to pay to give us the pay rise that we want that we're asking for. They found seven to bail out this company, but that's the difference, isn't it? Because the uh, within those kind of tech companies and banking, it's just full of people who are Tory donors, so. Um, I think it's kind of naive of us to think that Tory politicians are going to behave, um, you know, behave in a way that suits the, you know, that benefits other people over themselves. They're not going to choose policies that are going to make them lose out. Like, I kind of truly wonder, like, how often is it that these people have behaved in a way where um, the, the people of the UK... Um, have kind of done better and they've done worse 
have they ever kind of like adjusted things so that they've had to make sacrifices themselves because they often talk about the sacrifices don't they and having to you know um, people having to do more and um, enjoying hard times you know tightening our belts turn off your like toaster and stuff they often talk about that but then like I was reading recently about how the um, where Rishi Sunat lives um, they had to change the electricity grid because the electricity supply was insufficient to supply his swimming pool so they made massive changes to the infrastructure there so that, that he could like heat his swimming pool isn't that amazing and the people using food banks and stuff <laughs> like the, I just don't get it like um, and so I was like thinking to myself like how how do you get around that I mean obviously there are there, there will be examples of like governments and people who um, promote the um, advancement of the quality of lives of people over themselves but I just don't I think at the moment we've kind of got a system in the UK whereby mm -hmm. if you vilify people enough if you vilify poor people the disabled uh, immigrants enough mm -hmm. then there isn't really the kind of political capital in trying to make their lives better then because if you, if you make them seem like they're so low and so worthless and lazy and awful then there isn't really much to gain um in trying to make their lives better i guess that's that's the reason why they kind of vilify people as like they do um when you look at all those kind of slogans like stop the boats and stuff that's um there isn't any other reason for them to kind of talk about those people in that way um there was a tweet from georgia layton who um is a cardiothoracics trainee she's going out of program to do research um so i, I sounded a bit excited when i said that it's so cool when like cardiothoracics trainee is obviously cool anyway but she's like a woman doing it i'm like oh that's, um, anyway, uh, so right on cue, an astoundingly perfect metaphor for the current contempt for junior doctors as professionals. My leave request for the 18th of June 2021 was approved this morning. So <laughs> amazing. Um, I wonder what she's going to do with that time. So what else is there? Um, that one and phenomenal answers. I think I want to mention this one as well. So. The, oh, this is about Emma Ronswick. Oh, yeah, fair enough. So she says in this interview on the BBC, so the tweet is from Haggis underscore UK, and it was just of the BBC interview with Dr Emma Ronswick. And she said it would cost about £1 billion to increase junior doctors' pay. The government have written off 15 times that on unusable, fraudulent PPE. Steve Barclay needs to stop the silly preconditions if he wants, to, if he wants talks to take place. And that's because uh, there was a question that was posed to her as to why they haven't been able to meet one another. And one of the things that they said was that the top one time that he had met with them, he said that he claimed that he didn't have the mandate to increase their pay. So then it was like, what the hell are we talking about then? And then uh, one of the other conditions that they put upon, upon meeting and, uh, and uh, talking about kind of pay restoration and, you know, basically making negotiations was that they call off the strikes. And they did that what, like two, less than two days before the strikes are due to start. So just kind of playing, playing, messing around, really. And, you know, as I was saying before, it's just so, so good to, um, to see someone who's able to just kind of cut through that nonsense and the smoke screens. Um, there was a tweet that I saw from Get a Cape, Wear Cape Fly. Um, his, his, his handle is at Forget Cape. Um, I don't know if you guys remember him. He had a really cool. He did a really cool song like years ago. He's also kind of quite prominent in the hardcore um, scene. He was a member of a hardcore band, so I remember knowing him. But anyway, he did a tweet, which was a quote tweet of um, basically people talking about Ki Hui Kwan. So he played short round in the original Indiana Jones, and then he went on to win an Oscar. And they said Ki Hui Kwan was born in Vietnam. He fled to Hong Kong and then came to the United States as an eight-year-old refugee. And, you know, obviously the kind of love affair with him now because he won the Oscar and people are like, yeah, you know, look at that. He overcame all odds. And there was a tweet that said, Americans love people who overcame odds, Im overcame impossible odds. Oh, I've ruined that. Let me say this again. Americans love people who overcame impossible odds nearly as much as they love making the odds impossible. Isn't that just 
so really clever isn't that true and i feel like that's the way in the uk as well like it's so much more you know they talk about kind of entrepreneurs and you know like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps but it's so it's increasingly so much more difficult to do we know that kind of um the gap uh in equality um is just widening um and yet if <laughs> when like Rishi Sunak became prime minister it was supposed to be um kind of regarded as some kind of win the, like real recognizes real and he's not real he's just awful and um I found that really really insulting and I just think the impossible odds are getting more impossible and it needs to change oh my god this has been so, this is so depressing i'm so sorry that you've had to listen to me complain about anything every, anything and everything well anyway one positive is that the strikes happened and um it wasn't horrible you know like you know the 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 sky is still blue and stuff right the sky is still blue isn't it okay it's a bit great at the moment um, and also, yes, the um, promo code is for Scrubs. So S-C-R-B-S underscore UK. We, they put the U into Scrubs, comfortable Scrubs. Check them out. 10% off if you use our promo code, which is 2Medics, T-W-O-M-E-D-I-C-S-1-0. And you get 10% off. Do enjoy them. Thank you so much to li- for listening to me just talking to myself for 51 minutes. Um, I apologise. Um, if you've gotten this far and uh, next week thankfully for you all uh, Imran will be back so it'll be just me talking over him for that period of time instead so um, I look forward to um, hearing from well you know I don't know I look forward to like living another day and stuff oh my god thank you so much if you are if you do actually like listening to me like talking to myself then it'd be really cool if you could like let me know because this is really weird for me and um I'm doing it but I'm like why am I doing but anyway if you have listened this far and whatever then let me know that I wasn't terrible or if you did think I was terrible then just don't tell me I think ignorance is bliss anyway I hope everyone is cool and have a great day and uh, speak to you soon bye now